we weren't able to get the sermon recorded, and so I just wanted to go over it uh, real quickly so that we have a podcast of it. We're starting a new series called 2020 Correcting Our Vision, and we're in a part of the book of Matthew where Jesus goes through six separate um, things where he says, you've heard it said, but I say, and he he kind of defines it a little better. And so uh, we, we're, we're talking about correcting our vision. What are some of the things we've heard said one way, but really God wants us to get a clear picture of what that might look like in our own life. I uh, went to the the eye doctor, and uh, the doctor said that my prescription was no good anymore, that uh, I couldn't use my glasses anymore. He said that as I mature, which I thought was an interesting word to use, as I mature, my eyesight gets worse, which is ironic because I don't believe I've matured at all. I've gotten older, but I haven't matured. Uh, but I know what he was trying to do. He's trying to save me from uh, getting my feelings hurt. So he he uh, goes through and he says, uh, uh, you know, he goes through those little lenses, you know, and he's got uh, the one and he says, you know, which one looks clear, this one or this one or this one or this one. And all of a sudden you begin to realize that your vision is getting clearer and clearer as he goes through those lenses. Well, that's kind of what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, you've been looking through this lens for a long time, and it seems clear, and it might be fine, but check out this one. And he clicks it over into the one that makes a little, has a little more uh, cl- clarity, and, uh, and you go, wow, that's, that's clear to me. Well, this is what was happening when Jesus was preaching. People were beginning to say, man, the guy preaches with authority. We've been listening to these uh, Pharisees and all this stuff, but Jesus is, is, really, uh, is really making this clear to me. As a matter of fact, Jesus, uh, in Matthew 23, specifically calls the Pharisees blind guides. He says, Woe to you, blind guides! You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he's bound by his oath. Then he calls them, You blind fools. In verse 19, he calls them, You blind men. It would be like going to the eye doctor, and uh, the eye doctor is blind, and yet he's going to write a prescription for you. This is kind of where Jesus is coming from. It goes right to the root of um, of uh, what Jesus wants to do: get to the heart of the matter. And uh, we've seen this; we've seen him talk about vision before, where he says, "You know, take the log out of your own eye. First, correct your own vision." then you can see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. And so um, Jesus is going to the root. So what we're going to do is we're going to go right into the scriptures where we're talking about. It's in Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 21. And I don't have a bunch of different points. We're just going right through the scriptures, um, uh, just kind of straight through. Nothing rhymes. There's no, nothing starts with all, everything starting with M or anything like that. We're just going through the scriptures. So Jesus says, You have heard it said to the people long ago, Do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. You know, I don't know about you, but when I talk to people about how good they are in life, almost the first thing they say is, Well, I haven't killed anybody. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever heard anyone use that term, but uh, 
when you try to describe that we need a life with God, that we're not holy uh, enough to, to have this relationship, but Jesus made it possible. The first thing people say, I'm pretty good. I haven't killed anybody. This is exactly where Jesus is going. He, he's, he, he's picking up where he left off. If you remember last week, uh, well, two weeks ago or whenever it was, we were talking about the Pharisees. And Jesus was saying, unless your righteousness surpasses that than the Pharisees, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes right into this thing. This is what I'm talking about. You say don't murder, but I want to go uh, way farther than that. He's going right to the root. He's going right to the heart. Because Jesus knows that there's a downward spiral of sin. That uh, it's you don't murder, but there was something that started long ago. And uh, if you look at... Um, uh, God talking to Cain in the Old Testament in Genesis. You know, Cain offers a sacrifice to God. It's not that good. Abel offers a sacrifice. It's a killer sacrifice. Uh, and, and so God loves that sacrifice. So Cain gets all upset. And in Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, we see something really interesting. God knows that Cain wants to kill his brother. And so he says this. He says, Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? That's in verse 6. Then he goes on in verse 7. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you don't do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. He doesn't say to Cain, Hey, you better be careful or you're going to murder somebody. He doesn't say that. He says, Sin is crouching at the door and it desires to have you, but you must master it. You... He wasn't saying, don't murder your brother Cain. He was saying, you got to start way before that when sin is crouching at the door. God knows how sin works. It gets a little bit of you, then a little bit more, then a little bit more, and soon you're murdering somebody. And so Jesus is saying this to the people around him. Look, you've heard it said, don't murder, but I want to go way beyond that. I want to go way beyond that. Now, what he's saying here, he says, you have heard it said. Now, Jesus is uh, not talking about the law of Moses here. Even though that is in the law of Moses, he's talking about the rabbinic law that the Pharisees adhered to. Now, it was based on the law of Moses, but it, it, what, he's not just talking about the Old Testament. What had happened was the, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and the Jews uh, uh, had this Babylonian captivity, and when they came back from that, they spoke Aramaic. And so they couldn't really check the scriptures themselves. The scriptures were in Hebrew. They spoke Aramaic. And so the Pharisees would tell them what everything meant. Now you can imagine the power that that gave the Pharisees. We've seen this in the early church as well. Uh, the scriptures were um, uh, um, written in Latin. And the, uh, uh, the church didn't, uh, people in the church didn't speak Latin. And so the Catholic church made up a whole bunch of rules and uh, different things. Um, that uh, that they used, you know, you, you could pay a certain amount of money and then that would pay for these sins, all this stuff. And I'm not coming down on the Catholic Church because I guarantee you if we were preaching out of a Bible that you didn't have, that was written in another language, it's the temptation of man to add to it and subtract to it uh, as long as it gives them power. Um, Pastors do this all the time when people are too lazy to check the scriptures themselves. That's why you have pastors driving around in Jaguars saying, I'm blessed by God, you know, and people don't question it. 
And so um, it's important to, to read the Bible ourselves and, and question it. But this is what was going on uh, when Jesus was talking. He, he says, um, you've heard it said through this rabbinic law, but they're missing the heart of what's going on. They're missing the heart of it. And so uh, uh, it says, um, so they said, do not commit murder or you will be subject to the civil court. Well, that's part of the thing they added. See, what they said was, don't commit murder or you're going you're gonna to have to answer to us. You're going to have to answer to our court. Well, that's not the purpose of, of, of the commandment. The purpose is, is that it will get us away from God. That's the court we need to worry about. And so Jesus is saying, uh, um, you know, it's not about going to court. It's about your relationship with God. We have to be really careful that our incentive for not sitting is outside our relationship with God. So if my, if, if my reason for not committing adultery is that if my wife finds out she's going to be really upset, that's not in a, I'm not in a healthy spot. If my purpose for not having adultery is because I don't want anything to come between me and my relationship with God, that's at a healthier place. And so Jesus is saying to these people, look, you've heard it said, if you commit murder, you're going to have to answer to the court. I'm saying, forget about the court. Let's go back farther to the root uh, of the issue. In uh, Genesis chapter 39, I want to get to that real quick. I didn't, uh, I wasn't prepared here. Um, Joseph is, uh, uh, Joseph is the guy who had the multicolored coat. Um, and uh, his brother sold him into slavery and a bunch of stuff happened and then he became um, uh, in charge of a man named Potiphar's um, all, all, all the stuff he owned so he kind of became in charge of all that stuff and so Potiphar went on a trip and his wife uh, we don't know her name she's just called Potiphar's wife uh, starts taking a liking to Joseph and uh it says uh, in verse 6 of, of Genesis 39, Now Joseph was well built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. So Joseph is in this situation where uh, all of a sudden this gal is uh, saying, Hey, let's go. So um, he refused. And what's really interesting is this goes to the heart of what Jesus is trying to say. When he talks to Potiphar's wife, he doesn't say, are you kidding me? I'd lose my job. I've been in charge of all this stuff. My life is going great now. His, his incentive for not sinning had nothing to do with his circumstances. It had nothing to do with being caught. It had nothing to do with, I mean, maybe Potiphar's wife was ugly. I don't know. I, I, who knows? But here we are, and he says, uh, this is what he says to her. With me in charge, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. Then he says an awesome statement here. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? He says, look, my, my master's given me all this stuff. I'm in charge of everything. 
You'd think what he'd say is, how could I do this to him after everything he's done to me? But he doesn't say that. He says, how can I, how can I do this wicked thing and sin against God? His incentive for not sinning had nothing to do with his circumstances. It had to do with his relationship with God. And that's where uh, Jesus is coming from. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 15, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, and false testimony, slander. Jesus goes to the heart of the matter. He says, um, uh, he says you should not commit murder, uh, but I say something different. So what, what does he say? What does this heart look like? Well, he goes on. He goes, I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. See, Jesus goes back a few steps and says, forget about the murder part. Let's start at the root. Because outward actions don't tell the whole story. In 1 John chapter 3, it says, Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And so he, he's, he's in this um, uh, uh, situation where he's saying, Look, forget about the murder. Let's take the boundary back a few uh, um, uh notches and see what we can find there. That's the heart. Then he moves on and he says, again, anyone who says to his brother Raka is answerable to the Sanhedrin. That's a, that term's translated em empty-headed, but really it's just an empty term. It doesn't uh, uh, mean anything. We've assigned a value to it, but back then it, it was just a slang, a slang term. Uh, I was watching that movie Elf with my kids and uh, there's a time when the Elf... Uh, uh, the elf guy uh, says, you know, I I'm just a cotton-headed ninny muggins. And uh, everyone says, no, no, you're not a cotton-headed ninny muggins. Well, they obviously knew what it meant, but um, that's a bad example. I know, I realize that now, especially now that I'm preaching it again. If we had two services, I probably wouldn't have used that example. I would have learned from the first service and wouldn't use it for the second service. Anyway, my point is, they have this uh, term that they use. This is the same thing uh, for Raka. And he says, You've heard, again, anyone who says to his brother Raka is answerable uh, to the Sanhedrin. Again, answerable to their court. But anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. See, see Jesus is going straight to the root. That word fool is moros. It's where we get our term moron. And so what's happening here is Jesus says, you can't even call anyone a moron. Now what's interesting is that Jesus used this exact same uh, word to the Pharisees. So Jesus says, don't use the term, you fool, or you'll be in danger of the fire of hell. And then in verse 23 of Matthew, he uses that exact term. Now what's, what's going on here? Well, he, here's the point. If I say to somebody... Uh, if I'm speaking the truth and I say, hey, you know, you're being foolish. A fool says, and it says in Proverbs, a fool says in his heart, there is no God. A fool says that. So somebody who were to say, there is no God, they're being a fool. And so for me to, to point that out, to say, you're a fool for believing that, is, is judging them according to God's standard. However, if someone cuts me off on the street and I call them a moron, I'm now judging them according to my standard. 
And that is very, very dangerous. Because when we come to a situation based on our standards, we run the risk of trying to make um, our standards more important than God's standards. So when Jesus calls the Pharisees fools, he's doing it according to God's standards, saying you guys are, are, are fools for thinking that you're so righteous. And you're not. Even, no matter how righteous you think you are, it's not, it's not enough. You guys are being foolish. But if Jesus was riding along on a donkey and somebody cut him off with a camel, and he said, you moron, that's a whole lot different. The same thing about um, hell. If I tell somebody, you're going to hell if you don't know God, or I yell out, go to hell, which is a horrible term, I'm judging them according to my standards. I'm damning them because they injured me. And that's a very dangerous uh, uh, place to, to, to be. And so Jesus is saying, when you start judging people according to your standards, uh, you're in a, 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 a serious situation. This is why gossip is so um, detestable to God. Because all gossip is, is you or I telling a story about somebody else and everybody agreeing that what that person did was wrong. And it makes us feel good. If I tell you, well, you know what I heard? I heard that so-and-so, uh, you know, was cheating on his taxes. Oh, 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 boy, oh. Do we all agree that's wrong? Yeah, oh, we sure do. Great, then we've set up a standard that we can all agree is wrong. It doesn't matter what we think. We don't need to gossip. God knows. God's standard is high and we can't attain it. And so we don't have to worry about what other people are doing. So then Jesus continues. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. So what are we saying? We're saying that your heart is going to show up in your actions. First, Jesus says, it's not about your actions. Do not commit murder. It's not about your actions. It's about your heart. But now he's going on to say, when your heart is changed, it's going to show up in your actions. Your relationship with others has an immediate and lasting impact on your relationship with God. If there's something between you and your brother, you and somebody else, it has an immediate and lasting impact on your relationship with God. We can't think that we can just go on worshiping, going to church, reading our Bible, that everything's going great, and yet we're harboring anger against somebody else. It just doesn't work. Jesus is saying, stop whatever spiritual thing you are doing that seems really cool, and go and be reconciled to your brothers. It's more important to be reconciled to your brother than it is to do the spiritual stuff. You say, man, that's, you got to be kidding me. So if you're saying that I should ditch church and go make it right with somebody, absolutely. Absolutely. Because the next week when you go to church, there'll be nothing in your way. And that's what God is saying. Now, uh, you know, we think of, oh, just keep your, 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 um, keep your gift at the altar 
and then go be reconciled to your brother. That doesn't really mean anything to us because that isn't really how we worship. But in that time, that would be weird. If you were to just go and bring your gift and then just leave it right at the altar and go uh, reconcile to your brother, that would be a disruption in the worship service. Because the priests wouldn't, they wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to work it that way. And so it's really important that we understand that what Jesus is saying here is let it disrupt your spiritual life. It should be a big deal if you're harboring anger in your heart. It's very important. And what's interesting too is it says you're at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you. That makes it even worse. Because not only is it you shouldn't have, or I shouldn't have um, anger in my heart, but if I know they're having anger in their heart towards me, maybe I didn't even do anything, it still should upset my spiritual life. Even when I'm not the one wrong. Somebody has something against me, I don't have anything against them, it should disrupt my spiritual life. It's that important. See, my offering to God at that point, my gift at the altar is not worship. My actions towards my brother, that becomes worship. So I bring my gift to the altar. I'm going to do this act of worship, of giving. And the Lord says, hey, this guy's got something against you. Hold off on that. Go make it right. Go make that your act of worship for me this morning. And then come back and give your gift. It'll mean so much more. Your actions show what's in your heart. James 2 talks about this. He says, In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. I can read my Bible. I can do all this kind of stuff, but if it, if it means that there's relationships, if there's people uh, in, uh, that I'm, I'm missing, it's no good. That's why Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. I let my relationship with God and people totally disrupt my religion. And so it doesn't just look like um, uh, that I'm just doing stuff to do it. I, I pay a really close attention to what the Holy Spirit is saying about me and my relationship with others. Isaiah 1, 11, um, uh, or Isaiah 1, 13, really brings this to light. God says, Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moon, Sabbaths, and convocations, I cannot bear your evil assemblies. Your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They become a burden to me. I'm weary of, of bearing them. He's saying, I'm so tired of your worship service. You say, well, what's going on? Well, in verse 15, he says, when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Now, what, what's going on here? See, we're getting to the part of thou shalt not murder. But it wasn't that their hands are full of blood because they were murdering. He says, wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. And here's what he says. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. 
all of a sudden, social justice, doing what's right, takes precedent over the worship service. And that's exactly how we should be. Our relationships with those around us are very, very important to God. We can't just play church and do what we're doing. And I do this all the time where I think what I'm doing is, is such a great spiritual thing. And yet I've got fences I need to, spiritual fences I need to mend with people. So Isaiah 58, this is 57 chapters after what we just read. He's saying it again. Is not the kind of fasting, uh, is, is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen? He, he, what he's saying here is, he's saying, what, what, why do you fast? Is it just one day to humble yourself and to be accepted be, uh, before the Lord? Is that, is that what you're hoping for? That if you fast, you'll by default become closer to God? He says, basically, this is the kind of fast I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe him and not turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Jesus is saying, or God is saying here, look, your job, your fasting, your active worship is to break these chains. And it's important for us, when we are angry at somebody, we are trying to bind them up. We're trying to put this, oh, there, what they did to me, they're going to pay. And we put this yoke of slavery on them, no matter what they did. And Jesus is saying, God is saying here, you think fasting is what I really want? No. Break that chain. Why are you angry? What What is it in your relationship with God? When, when I'm angry at somebody, what is it with my relationship with God that's deficient so that it can't handle whatever was done to me? See, that's really the question. When God asks, why are you angry? He's asking, what what's missing between us? What have I not provided you? What have I what resource don't I have available to you? Uh, that that question didn't make any sense. What resource that I've made available to you are you not using essentially? It's really important. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, "Don't even call anybody a fool." We're operating on different standards now, God's standard, and nobody measures up. And so uh, in Isaiah, God's saying, man, break those chains. Set them free. Let it go. If not, if we combine it with Genesis, if not, sin's crouching at the door and it desires to have you. That anger isn't just going to go away. God wants us to settle... Um, uh, Settle the issue. And so this is what he says in Matthew chapter 5. We're moving on. He says, Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you're still with him on the way, or he will hand you over to the judge. And the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you've paid your last penny. 
Uh, Jesus isn't giving legal advice here. He's taking it to a different stage. He's saying, look, not only do you leave your gift at the altar, but you need to make these relationships right or it's going to end up costing you. And I'm telling you, I meet a lot of people that their anger is costing them. They can't stop thinking about it. They can't stop talking about it. They're in total bondage. They, they listen to the, the sermons and it always applies to the person that hurt them. And, you know, if only that person could have heard it. And you're in a small group and people are saying the same story over and over and over again because they're trapped, they're in prison. And they're paying back every last penny when if they would just break that yoke of bondage, they could be free. 1 Samuel 15, 22. Samuel's talking to um, uh, Saul. And Saul says, oh, I, I followed God. And Samuel says, no, you didn't. He says, well, I, I did this thing so that I could give good sacrifices to God. And Samuel says, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than to sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. See, God doesn't want empty actions. God uh, doesn't want anything getting in the way of your relationship with him. He wants your offering from a pure heart and with sound relationships with people. See, it's, it's time that we stop thinking, for myself as well, that I'm doing a pretty good job. It's time for the Lord to give me another eye exam to say, okay, you're doing better than you were before. You can see a little bit better, but I'm going to change your prescription. I want you to see that you don't quite have it yet. And he takes us to another level of holiness and another level of, uh, of uh, intimacy with him. We are in love. 